When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You know, I thought about this um, time and time again about, you know, how this thing was going to play out. And, you know, it's the love uh, for me still here in Minnesota. And, you know, all I've been seeing is nothing but positive. So, you know, to all the Viking fans and, you know, just coming to that Metrodome, pull your 84 jerseys out, man. I think this is going to be a, a fun ride. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Welcome to another episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments, you name it. My name is Phil Mackey, and this episode is all about the 2010 Minnesota Vikings, the return of Randy Moss, and all of the things that came afterward. One of the craziest cluster bleep seasons in Minnesota sports history. Not just Viking season, but Minnesota sports history. And our crew for this episode is Judd Zolgad, my co-host on Mackie and Judd with Rami, who covered the Vikings that season for the Star Tribune. And uh, that, was, that was such a load that you decided to leave the beat writing business altogether and join us on the radio side of the fence. It's not exactly inaccurate, by the way. <laughs> That was uh, when the roof came down, which we'll talk about. That was the day I got it, that the wife came to pick me up downtown, and I said, it's now too much. I've, I've seen too much. I've done too much. And uh, NFL Network's Tom Pellicera also joining us on this episode, who at the time covered the Vikings for 1500ESPN.com. And I believe, Tom, I, I, I don't remember when in 2010, but I remember Judd and I at a bar. I think it might have been on our trip to New York when we were covering the Twins-Yankees, and then you stayed for... Jets-Vikings, Randy Mott, was that his debut with the Vikings? That was his debut with the Vikings. There was a lot going on, Yeah, and that was only the fourth game of the year. <laughs> and I remember Judd leaned over at the bar, and he's like, if you guys got any openings over there, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ready to be done with this. this I remember being at a different bar with Judd after that season. It had to have been March, April, May, somewhere in there, and we were over at uh, Brits on the rooftop. When you were uh, when you were thinking of making the move over? Oh yeah, that was the year that basically did me in. There was no question about it. In fact, in fact, the only time in my life, and by the way, regional books do not sell. I'll say that Pelissero and I actually talked long and hard about should we do a book on this season called "And Then the Roof Collapsed." Yeah. <laughs> and it was the only time in my life, honest to God, that I've ever thought. A book might be a good idea. Is that the new working I, title of this episode, by the way? Can we steal that? And hopefully then the roof not. Collapsed? We've had a few water issues down here. So I, <laughs> sure but that was the only not. time that I've ever talked to anybody about doing a book, and I, we actually did talk about and it. And I did actually pitch it to someone and was told too episodic. 
So, how many yeah. chapters? This is a good segue because how many chapters would that book? Oh, have somewhere had? I have it. I have the entire plan for the book. I have the pitch and everything. I don't remember how many chapters we had. Well, planned, it would, if you were to do it, it would start the previous well in 2010 in January in the Superdome. I mean, it would start there at the end of what became the 2009, uh, well, a great year that turned into an epic game. But in all seriousness, it was the perfect book, I thought, because you you went from 2010 and a locker room full of people who basically knew that they had spent every last bit of sweat that they had. And Brett Favre, I mean, great story, right? And then we show up in Mankato, all hell breaks loose. It was, if you were ever going to do a sports book, that was it. Yeah, if, as long as you don't like happy endings. Happy endings are boring. <laughs> Judd's never been. We'll boring. take that out of context later. You can replay that on Mackie and Judd with Rami ad nauseum. Happy so, endings are boring, said Judd. So to set the seed for the 2010 Vikings, I, I just want, I want to set the scene and then go through. I don't know if I... If I nailed everything here, but I have a summary of events, everything from sort of the end of the 2009 championship game that Judd talks about. But the Vikings were coming off a four-year crescendo that culminated in a trip to the aforementioned NFC title game. Favre was physically decimated in that game. He underwent arthroscopic ankle surgery. We all saw the photos that came out of his battered and bruised legs and, and ankle and so the Vikings essentially spent the entire offseason trying to figure out, is this championship window still open? Is Brett Favre coming back? Is it time to transition into a rebuild? Who would the starting quarterback be? And I found a snippet from Judd's Star Tribune article after Favre's arrival. So he, they convinced him to come back, and we're going to get into all this stuff. But And this is what you wrote, Judd. All right? Favre, who wavered on his decision on seemingly a daily basis and even told the Vikings he was going to stay retired on August 2nd, will turn 41 years old in October. He took a beating in the NFC Championship game, came away with an injured left ankle, had arthroscopic surgery for the third time in his career, and as Dr. James Andrews removed scar, uh, scar tissue and bone spurs, was quoted as saying, it went fine. He's rehabbing and trying to decide what he's going to do. Favre, though, wasn't happy with how the ankle responded. He visited Andrews last week in Gulf Breeze. This is now uh, just after training camp. This is like August during training camp uh, to have the ankle examined again. Favre's decision to return comes as a surprise to no one, but the question now is what type of compensation will he get for playing? Um, he was originally thought to make $13 million, but there have been talks that now they're going to have to tweak it up to $16 million with $4 million in bonuses. So essentially, we know you're too banged up to play. You don't really want to come back. Can we throw like four or five more million dollars at you to please come back was the mindset going into training camp. And then this list of events took place between Favre being pried out of his home in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and the end of the year. Favre comes back. Sidney Rice needed knee surgery, but was also trying to leverage a new contract. Which, by the way, to be clear, they were not transparent with, with Favre. It was about. hip. Yeah, it was, was a hip, and, hip and, surgery. And he had been hurt. He was hurt coming out of the Saints game. And he needed surgery, and he knew that. And the Vikings basically said, you need the surgery. And he said, if I don't get a new contract, I'm not having the surgery. But meanwhile, nobody is transparent with Favre about Rice's status. And keep in mind, 2009, Favre made Sidney Rice. But when Favre made you, he was like an artist. So now this was his painting, and the painting was going to be taken away, unbeknownst to the guy being pried out of retirement. Percy Harvin also had migraine issues or other issues. 
and I think his grandma died. His grandma died. Camp. It was supposedly grandma, and I allegedly, I'll, I'll say it to be nice. Grandma died when he was in Mankato. He disappeared. He left. Uh, Brad was basically calling him on a daily basis. When are you coming back? He never came back to Mankato, right, Tommy? Correct. And then he came, and then eventually resurfaced at Winter Park. And a day or two later was taken off the practice field in an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah, he collapsed. Uh, he actually, um, he came out for practice. Wasn't gonna, he wasn't practicing. He came out to watch practice, uh, doubled over, vomited, collapsed in his vomit, and was on the field. Nobody was called for a long time. The trainers attended to him. I was told way after the fact, his heart actually stopped for a second, and that's when they called the ambulance and took him away. I'm not kidding. Uh, and this is all. This was before the season, right? This was. This, this is still. This is the Mankato portion of yeah. them still in what I guess would be considered training camp mode. So is when we right? when we right. get when we get to the season, yes, back in Eden Prairie by the time Percy collapsed. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So these this is all stuff. This is before the season even starts. That you could this you could see things brewing and there were other things before the season, but those are those are the high notes. Yes. Well, what else? Tell us. What do you remember besides that? I mean, there was the Toby Gerhardt holdout. We, we, we had a, I, did, I didn't we had remember Toby Gerhardt holdout. Toby Gerhardt held out <laughs> second round pick. Yeah. Now remember, they had two second round picks there. They had Chris Cook and they had Toby Gerhardt. Yep. Chris was there on time. Toby, I don't even remember exactly what the issue was. It was something, you know. That, you know, th- that was pre the current collective bargaining agreements. You could negotiate a little more with rookie contracts. He held out for a couple of days. He comes back on like the third day of camp. They're in pads and just got his ass kicked. All right. The white running back from Stanford who held out for two days. The moment he walked on the field, and you could just hear guys chirping at him about, you know, just, oh, you know, welcome here. One point, Pat Williams. You know, who Pat at that point was, you know, 350, 360 pounds. Listen to 315, okay? Of which, I mean, he was 315 from the waist up. He yeah. had these little tiny dancer right. legs. He's a great leg. He had great, he was like a, clearly an athlete yeah, he was from the waist arena. down. And then he just was massive on the top. At one point, he, he, uh, just flattens Toby Gerhardt, right? In a practice. Like everybody was knocking him around, but Pat just, just roasted him at one point and, uh, how are we feeling on swearing on these podcasts? Are we okay on it? Are we trying to avoid that? Uh, this this will eventually be on the radio, so don't get us fined by the FCC. Don't do what I, I can't do. I can't do a Pat Williams impression then because it was three. It was like every third word was. Who's got coming in? Yeah, he he used it was four just like words over and over. Transition we were interviewing him after, but basically he was just talking smack about his teammate and just like you. Basically, you don't walk in here two days late and just yeah. come out here like you're gonna. This is what's gonna happen to you. <laughs> so there's all that You're going on. You had Sydney, yeah, running sprints. Didn't Ray every- take him out too. I mean, Ray didn't need an excuse to take because Ray out. was going to take you out no matter what. I thought Ray took him out too. Ray Edwards, were you, were you? Did you go to the boxing match? Oh yeah, we went. I went. It was during the I lockout. Took you, we went together. Yeah, to thanks for remembering. Grand Casino that. Hinkley was yeah, that where it was? We went up to Duluth. That off. No, I think it was Hinkley. Or no toward, way we went all the way to Duluth. Or towards Hinkley. Duluth. It was, yeah, like Grand, it was, Grand Casino Hinkley. Yeah, it was Hinkley, yeah. During, was Hinkley. So this was the following yes, year. Yes, we went together. Ray, Ray had decided during the lockout he was going to become a boxer. And Ray, like if you saw him, like I mean, he was a big dude, like just built. I don't know what he was listed at, but he had to have been you know, 6'5 and 260, like no body fat, or 290 probably, like you know, big guy, defensive end. And so 
I believe it was his first fight. Maybe you say, I think it was his first fight. They brought in a tomato can for him. And they brought in like a guy who's built like you, Phil. It was like a five foot seven pudgy white guy. But ruggedly handsome and charming. No, he was way fatter than you. (laughs) I can't remember. fair to Phil. He was way fatter than you. I remember if it was you or. You or Seaford or somebody described it as like a Three Stooges routine. Basically, Ray could like put his hand on the guy's head while the guy's swinging at him and can't actually get at him. Like that was the guy. And then may or may not have taken a dive, which later there's a famous video of Ray in another fight where the guy literally takes a dive, like swinging a miss, and the guy's just like, "Oh, <laughs> this goes down." It was just it was just a clown show. But they they had this this group of personalities on that team that you know you got where they thought we've got a chance if we can get far back because you had, um, you know, obviously you had Sydney was coming off a good year at that point seemed like he might play. Cause every day he's just running wind sprints on the side field with Suge yep. just running back and forth. Yep. Like you, you'd watch it. We'd, we'd, everybody wrote a note on it every day. Sydney's out there again. He's running. You also weren't sure at that point if Sydney rice, cause he was a second round pick too. You weren't sure if he was a legitimate Top echelon wide receiver with or without Favre, and there was there was that feeling out process in the next few years of was he hurt, was he not legitimate? Did Favre well, make him? Had, was it a combination? Yeah, and Sydney just he had injury issues constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that was his biggest thing. That's what had hurt him up until 2009 was the only year he was healthy in his entire career. But it turned out that they had that he had basically come out of that Saints game, and they said you need surgery, and he said I'll get surgery when you give me an extension. They said we're not doing that. And so nobody really communicated after that. So either. that's the next that's the next notch on the timeline. So the Vikings started 0-2 in that 2010 season. They lose the rematch to New Orleans. Okay, dust yourself off. It happens. But then they lose to, to a mediocre Miami team the next week. And that's when, that's when red flags start popping up. Uh, somewhere in that first month is when the, the Vincent Jackson trade got vetoed. And then they pivoted over and Bill Belichick makes Randy Moss available. So the Vikings in the first month of the season have now traded. Was it a third round pick? I believe. Yeah. And to be clear, Randy too. Moss. Well, hold on. How fast are we going through this? Because well, there's a whole receiver timeline. There are a ton of yeah. things that happen. There, there Let, was. Let's do this. Let's let's fly through the timeline and then let's circle back on okay. these key questions. Because there's okay? a key Vincent Jackson Rice thing here that transpires. So Moss comes to the Vikings, and then within a couple weeks, he also then. 27 days, was that what it was? It was about there. Yeah, 27. It was under a month. 28 uh, of the longest days of my life. Decides yeah. he wouldn't feed uh, Tanucci's Italian restaurant food to his dog. Which, by the way, we also Friday. have to get to, because that's one of the most misunderstood stories and one of the most BS stories ever, ever put down in this town. Brad Childress gets fired. Metrodome roof collapses. Giants game moved to Detroit. Philly game played on a Tuesday. Vikings played games at TCF Bank Stadium without heating coils. Brett Favre unconscious on the frozen tundra Punter of TCF Bank Stadium. Chris Cluey foreshadowing, beware the Ides of March. The Vikings whip forgot, the punter, and then it turns out to be right. Leslie Frazier gets the full-time job. And then uh, after all of this happens, the Vikings decide to hit the reset button and then draft Christian Ponder in 2011 and then go into the Christian Ponder era. So here's my first key question. Why ultimately... Let's start here, and then we'll explore all the landscape. Why did Brett Favre come back? You want to take this one? Well, you get you said you had Steve Hutchinson explain the story, and I I know Hutch's version, and I know the version of the people involved. In essence, so all right, here's what you have to understand. So, the first time when Favre joins the Vikings, two thousand nine, 
never shows up in Mankato, right? They get back to Winter Park. We Everybody knew that's probably when it would happen. And sure enough, first day back after training camp, they're back in Eden Prairie. Favre comes. So the second year, everybody kind of thinks this is what's going to happen. Like We all did the song and dance every day of talking to Tavares Jackson and Sage Rosenfels as if they're going to be the quarterback when everybody – including our buddy Sage, knew that was probably not going to happen. Like, I remember me and Judd, and there might have been one other person there, like, a week before the end of camp that year, two weeks before the end of camp, talking with Sage about, like, asking him about, you know, possibilities, where is he going to end up, and it was those conversations where Sage is just kind of playing along with the questions, you know, like, I'm just here to, you know, maximize the reps, and then soon as I was like, all right, guys, shut through a quarter, it's like, so where am I getting traded? You know, like it's one of those like, all right, we all know what's going on here, right? So uh, two weeks or so before Favre actually comes back, right? It was about a week into camp. Yep. And the story breaks that Favre is not coming, which I think was you. And that was. That broke that. And at that time, so to be clear. First two, week of August it was. Right, but right? Two, 2009 was all, he did call Brad and say, I'm not coming back. But that was to avoid training camp. Right. And in 2009, it was all a charade. But point being, on the outside, we all looked at it as, but 2010, well, this is, is going to play out the same way. But two, Well, that was the hubris of the Vikings to think that. In retrospect, now, having been told stories about that well after the fact, and in, to, in Brett's defense on this one, by 2010, he, he wanted to beat the Packers. And he did twice. And so the 2010 thing was way more legit than we thought at that time, that he really wasn't going to come back. So he says he's not coming back. And that was after Brad had called him. So the way that I've understood the story was by the time they make this mission down to Hattiesburg, which is about the third week of August, right? And I don't know for certain whether Brad said this or everybody knew but basically, Brad told Hutch and Longwell, you guys need to go and get Favre. And the message, whether it was spoken or unspoken, was because he won't come back if I go. Now, what I've also heard was there was a point where Brad's like, I'm going, and they told him, no, right, we'll go. And they took Jared as an aside because yes. they knew that Brett liked him. <laughs> but I, bring, I Bring the fun guy with the mullet. I remember. It always works. In, now... Since it's well past the fact, I remember one night when it was all sort of percolating because you always knew there was a chance Brett was going to come back. And I remember one night driving, I texted Longwell, who you know, and I said, "What's going on?" He said, "You can't tell anybody, but we are probably going down there." And he's like, "That this is the only way." It's always good when you tell uh, a journalist. By the way, you can't tell anyone this huge well, story. And in 2010, I didn't. No, no. But he's like, "You can't. It can't come from me." And I'm like, "That's fine." But the fact was. This had become very convoluted, and by now, to, to what Tom's talking about, now there is a concern. He ain't coming back. Right. And this was the last ditch. Yes. We got to do it. So they, they go into the house, and Favre was just kind of like, "What? Like, why are you guys here? Like, I'm not playing. What, and over you got to do the voice if you're going to do the Favre. I'm not going to play? <laughs> I, I, probably probably uh, not. Why, why you guys over here? Over the course of however many hours, they talk him into coming back. Like, he was truly done. He did not want to play. Now, to Brett's credit, when he got there, like he he tried to flip the switch. I truly believe that. 
seeing how he operated, uh, the you know the attitude and everything. Like he thought, you know, perhaps wrongly, but he really thought I've still got this. The problem was, I believe it was two days later that Sidney opts to have surgery, right? Which I don't think he was ever. I'm sure he was not told about. He did not. You know, Brett's Brett. He doesn't follow football. He didn't know. He was very loose on details. He's not watching Total Access every night. Yeah, he doesn't watch Pelissero's show. No, no, I'm serious. So so to what you're just saying, you're right. Uh, so he gets there, and he's like, okay, we can still do this. Where's 18? And 18's not there. So then, and now this goes to the wide receiver timeline, if we want to zip through this quickly. Hold on. Let's get to the wide receiver timeline in a second. After we I'm hear, really excited about this. After we hear, sat on this for weeks. Steve Hutchinson's version of this story. Were you guys? You were on the plane ride going down there to, to pull him back in 2010, right? I was. I was. Yeah. What What, what was the, that? The stealth covert, the covert mission. <laughs> you You were doing specialty work in the practice shed, of co- according to your uh, special teams coordinator Brian Murphy at the time, Hutch. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the one thing. I I never did go back, and I mean, is there? Were there cameras there for that, or was it just kind of just audio on those those post practice uh, press conferences? I think there were cameras for that, if I'm I mean, not I mistaken. Gotta, I got to look back and see them at some point because they, it was just like apparently children didn't prep them at all. Correct on like what to say, so they were just literally grasping at straw. I mean, it was like <laughs> yeah, we were yes, you know, we were repaving 169 or something. I mean, it was like I mean they could have come up with something. <laughs> better than that but you know it's funny like we we went down there and spent the night and it was some big covert deal i mean you know i mean Childress kind of called me in his office after practice and said hey what do you think uh you and i fly down and go get brett and i said i got a better idea how about you stay here and send like jared because jared makes him laugh and ryan longwell because he loves ryan they played they had such a pass together and then i'll go too and we'll three of us you go okay so we go down there and you know, the, the, the pilot had a, you know, flight plan going into New Orleans that we were going to change mid-flight so that anybody following Ziggy's tail number wouldn't see it flew to Hattiesburg. And, I mean, it was this big thing. And it worked. I mean, we got down there. And when it started, I guess about the time you guys were figuring out we weren't at practice, uh, that's kind of when we were in the car ride back to the plane to get, to, to get into the plane to fly back to Minneapolis. And by the time, obviously – there was the helicopter and in the whole um, the charade there, but I mean it was it was it was pretty fun. I mean it was funny. I mean, we were laughing the whole time, like you know. I mean, <laughs> it was it was what we got him back. I mean, yeah, you did. But I bet we basically kidnapped. Him. Basically, yeah, you put a, put a ski mask over well, his and, head. And, and, and Steve, Steve, I didn't buy this at the time, but I have since been told that he really, really had reservations and or didn't w- want to come back. Is that correct? Oh for, yeah, for two thousand ten, yeah, he was. I think. I mean, I think he knew at that point. He, he, I think he was happy, you know, he would have been fine saying, no, I'm done. And then, you know, uh, uh, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, he, he, maybe he just knew or, or whatever, but you know, we, we were, you know, at that point too, you know, Jared and, and, and Ryan and I were like, cause we get there and we kind of, now of course his whole family knew we were coming. He was the only one that didn't know. So we get there at like, and it was like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. By the time we get to his house, and it was like this big surprise thing. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say he was like, "Oh, so good to see you guys." Like Fifteen minutes later, where's Brett? He went to bed. 
<laughs> Seriously, we're sitting there on the couch, and Deanna's like, I think he went to bed. And we're like, oh, this is going to be tough. Like, we thought we were going to walk in, and he was going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go, you know, win one for the Gipper. And no. So the next day, was like we were talking, and we were like, we, we started thinking, well, if he doesn't come back, people are going to re- – People are going to start finding out we were down here regardless. And then what does it look like, you know, for the organization and, and the confidence we have in the other quarterback? I mean, it just it was just it was just going to be a you know, media circus that way. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, like you see, it was it was it was that's true. I mean, he did not want to come back at first, and then finally, and then when he did, he was t- typical Brett fashion, just like you know, ah, all right, let's go. Yeah. I mean, like. <laughs> like you just talk the kid into like you know throwing rocks off a bridge or something. I mean, I mean nobody nobody could have predicted anything that happened that season too. Like think about all of the things no. from Randy Moss, no. coach fired, dome collapses, uh, yeah. TCF Bank Stadium, uh, Sunday night game on Tuesday in Philly. Yeah, uh, a home game that was supposed to be a Sunday game turned into Monday night, a home game in Detroit against the Giants. I mean, you couldn't. That I mean, I don't know if there was a circus season. I mean, every 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 team has their little secrets and 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 what's done behind closed doors. But I mean, I don't I don't know if you're going to find a more of a circus that than that year for us. Hey Hutch, it's a forgotten part, but that was the same year. And and ordinarily, this would have been a huge story. That's the same year that uh, that Percy had the migraines. He came back on the practice field in Eden Prairie and threw up and collapsed, and they had to bring an ambulance yeah. to get him. And, and, that, and that, was a, that was a small part with all the things that went on that year. That became a very small addendum to that season. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that, and then, you, you know, you, you mentioned Randy, and then Randy's, like, press conference after whatever, whatever his last, I can't remember if his last, what his last game was with us. But New England. He, yeah, he just kind of ripped, you know, the, the you know, Childress and and you know basically talked about how he wanted to be back on Patriots team like mm-hmm. it was like just the if it was if you could you could like just imagine it it happened all right before we get into key question number two any final thoughts on just the Brett Favre timeline and him coming back in 2010 one thing with Favre is when he came back when he came there after camp and despite the song and dance things. In 09, that guy walked into Eden Prairie Winter Park at the time, bound and determined to shove it up everybody's you-know-what, and that included the Packers especially, I, I always thought. And mm-hmm. That game in, at Lambeau was unbelievable. I've, I've never felt a stadium naturally shake like that. It felt like it was going to take off. Um, and they hated him, and by that time he couldn't stand Ted Thompson and the Packers uh, and McCarthy. But what was so – the juxtaposition that – interested me so much in 2010 when he came back was he literally Tom was dragged back like he literally you know Longwell and Allen and Hutch he came back for them and they and and the story that I was told as you know Steve talked about was they sat on that couch and said don't worry about Brad come back for us and he did it but the guy that walked into Winter Park that day uh, in 2010 was a very different guy he sort of came back as a sympathetic okay if you need my help I'll, I'll help you. And a million dollars a game doesn't. Well, sure. But the guy that came back in 2009 was on a mission. And I can't tell you, Tom, if, if you recall that, the difference between those two personalities. Well, and I had been there for Far's final year in Green Bay, and I was on the Packers beat in 07, 08, 09. So I saw 
all sides of it. I spent a lot of time in Minneapolis in 09 because that was the biggest story in Green Bay, too, was Favre playing for the Vikings. Uh, all I know was you saw Favre wanting to do it in 2010. That's what I mean by he he tried to flip the switch. But from the start, you just felt like it was different. You know, it's one thing of you know what he's saying at the podium. Because I, I, I was at both introductory press conferences, too. Um, I, I think it was different, though, when you just saw what was happening on the field. And that really all started with the opener, where the Vikings couldn't generate you know, a whole lot of offense. And then the week two game is the one that stands out to me because that was against the Dolphins at home. And by the end of that game, you knew this is going straight to hell. (laughs) Because Favre uh, repeatedly in the red zone was throwing back shoulder fades, which was the Sidney Rice specialty, right? Just go to the pylon, throw it up there, go get it. And he was throwing it to the guys they had then, basically being like, I can't do this. We don't have the players to do this. They lost that game at home. And even though they beat the Lions the next week before the bye, you just felt like this team is going to go anywhere. They have to get a receiver. And they had been trying already, but then that led to a move that – I won't say it defined 2010, but it certainly was a memorable month in Vikings history. So key question number two, when Randy Moss came back, what did you guys think in that moment? What did you guys think was going to happen? Revenge tour? If you had to put all your, like in that moment, if you had to put all your chips on either revenge tour and Vikings bounce back or complete total disaster, which is what happened. Yep. I would have put my chips on revenge tour not thinking deep enough about, well, if Bill Belichick in the middle of a season is cutting bait on someone, I would have thought Brett Favre, Randy Moss, they're going to get this thing together and we're going to see something magical and historic. So well, I, we did see something historic, I guess. <laughs> I know you guys are going to be shocked by this, but when that when the news broke that that was coming down, I think it was a off day, I think it was a Tuesday, and I was out uh, at, at a bar. And somebody tells me they're going to get Moss. I'm like, what? It happened on a day I was where the Twins the were hosting the Yankees in a playoff game, I believe, at Target Field. Anyway, so the news comes down. They get Moss from the Patriots, which, of course, fans are ecstatic about because they love Randy Moss, and he's coming back. Honestly, um, that, to me, is the day that it crossed over from, is this going to be a circus, to this is a circus? And it, when it crossed over, in my mind, was the introductory press conference for Moss. And I'm not joking this is gonna sound. This might sound silly, but when I knew that we were in for a gong show, was Moss is in this press conference and it's Moss at his best. And Randy Moss, a very smart guy. I mean, like he could be a bleep hole, yeah. but he was a very smart guy. Yeah. And I remember there was a person. I want to say a woman from NFL Network. She tried to ask a question about Moss's what happened with Patriots or something. And he's like, "Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up!" And he cuts her off. And he's like, "Next question." And it was like an auction. So I'm like, "This is really weird." Ziggy Wolf is in the back of the press conference, and this is when press conferences were held in the shed at, at Winter Park at the side of the practice field. So very just odd. It's not a shed, but... Well, it was a practice shed. <laughs> it's a pra- it's, it's a, a shed. shed. It's it was a, a shed. large shed. It was a big... It's a field house. It's a big shed. It's a field house. Now, punch hit the ceiling, you guys. It was a joke. Anyway, <laughs> so when I knew this was a complete... When I knew this was off the rails, though, was... So Randy's literally whipping through the press conference, whipping question, question, question. And the last thing he says is, 
y'all lucky I wasn't on that boat because it would have been worse or something. And he walks out. And Ziggy, I look back at Ziggy and he's laughing. Now, I've never told this story before, but when that whole boat thing happened in 05, which was my first year on the Beat the Star Tribune with Seifert. year after, or the same year, Moss got traded. Correct. Um, there was a moment when something happened. It was with the whole tight. Oh, the boat thing. I think it was. And I'm not kidding you guys. There was a moment where somebody told me they saw Ziggy so upset about the boat thing that he took a picture of Moss off the wall and threw it down. Like he was livid. How could this happen? I'm going to run. And, you know, he has run a respectable organization here, a franchise that people will be proud of because he's a Giants fan. And as big a dumpster fire as the Giants are right now, you know, the Giants have a lot of pride, heritage. And so when Moss says this at that press conference five years after the fact and Ziggy's laughing, oh, that's funny. You said that about the boat. I'm thinking to myself, that's not funny at all. That's he's basically warning you of what's coming to town. And that's when it crossed over to me to be, this is now going to become a gong show. And I didn't know how, and I would never have predicted what happened happened, but I went from being like, everything seems weird to, oh no, this isn't good. So I was uh, on the beat, so to speak, with the Vikings in 0304. So Moss's final two seasons before he got traded to the Raiders. And when he came back, from that press conference through the caterer thing through every you know the press conference that he did after the Patriots game which I'm sure we'll talk more in depth about cuz it's one of the highlights of Judd's life um oh, there are not many so it's good the w- the <laughs> way that I described it at the time was this is like the frat brother who graduated 6 years ago who was like the alpha male in the frat and now is like coming back to party and it's just like over the top because Moss in 0304 he ran that locker room. He had other guys like Kelly Campbell was kind of his right-hand man. But like it was Moss. He was loud, he was a big personality. Everybody answered to him. And that's the dynamic that they were trying to change when they traded him to the Raiders. They thought that just the leadership needed to change cuz he was he was the one, you know, that was you know, everybody looked to for leadership, and Moss is so much smarter than everybody else. He's such a better player than everyone else. People couldn't get away with the stuff that Moss got away with because they're not as good as him or as smart as him. So when he came back, it was just like, here I am. Here we go. And it just was this fundamental shift in the locker room because nobody knew how to handle it. He was still the loudest guy in the room, but nobody played with him. It had been six years. And, nobody knew the guy. And to your point, the main pledge was Percy Harvin, which mm-hmm. was a disaster. Because Percy was already teetering on, I don't think this guy can coach. And when he looked at Randy, and I think Randy backed up Percy and said, kid, you're good. Brad can't coach. And it, all hell broke loose then. With all the stuff that was because already, of that, all the stuff that was already going going on with Percy that season, and he was on the team. Moss was on the team, and again, I I might be wrong on the number. I believe it was twenty seven days. Moss was living in a hotel in Edina during those twenty seven days because he, you know, he obviously didn't have a house there or anything. When he got cut, there was one guy there helping him move out, and it was Percy Harvin. Yeah, they instantly forged that connection 
And I always thought that Percy was an interesting, engaging guy. I infamously gave him the Corey Stringer Good Guy Award. Was the presenting person for that once? Yeah, congratulations, nice work. But that, I mean, that was you know there were some dark moments there for for Percy, and then it was after Moss got cut, of course, that there was an altercation that Judd and I have discussed before, uh, involving Percy and Brad. Yeah. That was on the way to was that the Friday before the Cardinals game, I believe. Yes. So a couple weeks after, uh, no, the week after Moss got cut, days after Moss got cut. Yeah, and Judd knows the story better than I do. And things have been so, to backtrack just a little bit to training camp, when Percy's grandma, quote-unquote, died, I mean, I think she died, I have no idea, um, Brad started to call him on a daily basis. And he fl- And the reason why he didn't come back was he flipped out. Because Brad, and so he claimed migraines, which might have been true, I, I don't know, but children supposedly started to call him every day. Are you coming back today? Are you coming back today? And he went nuts. And then, so they get Randy, and Randy... And Randy and Percy, I'm, I'm not sure what you thought of Percy, Tom. He always struck me as a pretty savvy football player. He might have been a very dumb, oh, yeah. dumb guy. I have no idea if he could no, pass the test. No, when you got him talking football, though, like he, right. he, knew, he knew the game. Randy was is one of the smartest football players. Uh, as mm-hmm. weird as Randy is, one of the smartest football players ever. Okay, so now we're three games into the Moss era. They just lost to the Packers, which is everything to Favre, where he had played his ass off. He comes back, and I just had to Google this to make sure I'm remembering the timeline correctly. Favre shows up at his press conference the following Wednesday in a walking boot, like up to his knee. Yes. He's like hobbling to the podium. You're going, there's no way this guy's going to play. Like, this, this is it. They got the Patriots that week. It's the big game for Moss. The streak's still Moss is not talking to the media. He gets fined that week because Judd turned him into the well, NFL. So by Friday, he's out of the boot and claiming he might play. Not going to play, maybe. Oh, it gets better. It keeps going. It, seriously, this is there's things I didn't remember <laughs> that I'm remembering now. So he, he starts the game against the Patriots. And then sometime, I don't remember exactly when it was, he takes a hit up under his like his chin area. He's bleeding profusely. The The press box in Foxborough is in one of the end zones. And he's getting taken out on a cart, flat on his back, with like a towel being held to his chin and being driven to the locker room. This is the most durable quarterback in NFL history. He's, he still had missed a start at that point. The start streak was live, 270-odd games, whatever it was. And we're watching him like just getting like beat up it's just like you know the heavyweight boxer at the end it's just like this is not okay now Do you remember it turned out I, and as i recall he was legitimately afraid of blood so he's bleeding and he's like oh my god i'm bleeding he must not have bled much d- during his life yeah. because he was legitimately said i was afraid of blood and so he freaked out because he was bleeding we're like a hockey player if that had been a hockey puck they would have been like stitch me up i'll go back out yeah so it's like my teeth he so the, freaked out so the, that day uh, the Patriots game plan, which they, they've used on other receivers, but basically they had a corner on, on Moss, and then they played a safety over the top of yes. the whole game. Just basically they wanted to turn Randy into a ticking time bomb so he would explode and just ruin everything. Just double-team him. Let anyone else beat you, not Moss. He wanted to yeah. make him explode. Yeah. He wanted to cause a problem that would just ruin everything like on the Vikings sideline. Mm-hmm. 
Moss had one catch for eight yards in that game. He goes to the podium in Foxborough. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, no. Randy and, I kid you not, Fahutahi are the first two in the locker room off the field. And Randy looks at Ziggy and all of these people. Ziggy's friends, right? So they, these are his buddies. And Randy says, y'all better get yourself a new bleeping coach because this one can't bleep and coach at all. And that gets back to Brad. And that's the first thing. And the Wilfs, of course, Ziggy, I, I don't know how impressionable he is now, but in 2010 he was very impressionable. And this is, oh, my God, I can't believe I just heard that. And more importantly, somebody immediately tells Brad that. And now we get to the locker room. So Moss goes to the locker room or to his locker in Foxborough, which is like, if I remember correctly, because I, I mean, I was standing right there. It was me, Chip, there were a couple other people. And it's like he's in toward a corner of like the relatively cramped uh, locker space at Gillette Stadium. And he's like getting changed. And he says like, you know, something along the lines of like, y'all – you know, wanted to stand there and watch a bunch of grown men get dressed. It's like, okay, you know, whatever. And then Tom West, longtime Vikings PR guy, is standing there too, and he was kind of Randy's guy. And Randy goes, Tom, I'm going to the podium. And <laughs> West is one of the great poker faces of all time, but you could just see, like, his eyes just go kind of, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I got fined $25,000 for not talking to you all, and uh, me personally, I really don't care, but at the same time, I do ask, I do ask questions, I mean, answer questions throughout the week. Before the league to find me $25,000, I'm not going to answer any more questions for the rest of this year. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. So from here on out, I'm not answering any more questions for the rest of this season, and uh Enough said of that. Now we get to the game. Um, I know how hard these guys work here in New England, and the only thing that I really tried to do is take what the best coach in football history has has brought upon me or the knowledge that he's given me about the game of football, and I tried to just sprinkle it off you know, to the guys the best way I know how. Um, so you know, I'm going to go ahead and end this, this interview. You know, I have my family to see. Um, Definitely down that we lost this game because I didn't really expect for us to lose this game, knowing that you know we had a few things that we had to clean up. But like I said, they played a good game. I wish we could have had that three at the end of the half. Uh, maybe could have been different, maybe not. But you know, with I don't know how many more times I'm going to be up here in New England, but I'm gonna leave the New England Patriots, Coach Belichick, man, with a salute, man. I love you guys. I miss you. I'm out. And the last thing you see, Moss walks off. Judd from his front row seat pops up, steps in to grab his recorder off the podium, turns back to the room, and goes, "This is awesome." <laughs> that <laughs> was the last Judd's the crowning next, moment. The next day, uh, I believe Mike Lombardi, who was working for NFL Network at the time, breaks the news they've cut well, Moss. Let's back up, though. Yeah. So the press conference the next day. Okay. So we're in Winter Park. Brad comes to the podium he has cut moss we don't know it nobody well nobody in that room knows it two Wolves his, don't know it so brad goes on and on about randy and it got very cryptic and to his credit he didn't fly back with the team he yeah, stayed behind stayed with family and to his credit a guy who 
as a beat guy was fantastic. Bob Sansevier, ages ago, but he was fantastic. Bob finally looks at Brad and says, did you cut him? Like he had the sense, which which is a hell of a sense to have. I give Bob a lot of credit. Actually, here's here's why I want to I want to reset this with another key question here. If we take away the 2010 season, which I know is a is a huge if elephant in the room. We can't just take it away. But if we took away the 2010 season and we just evaluated Brad Childress as a head coach based on his four full years between 2006 and 2009. We're talking about a 36 and 28 record. Two division wins, a trip to the NFC Championship game. What would the pre- what would the prevailing thought have been if if Brad Childress did not coach the 2010 season? If we wiped it away, what would the thought have been about? Because I think right now, you pull Vikings fans and Brad Childress's name, scoffing at a minimum. I think among Vikings fans, he's just become kind of a punchline. What if you take away the 2010 season? Oh, okay, this is a layered question, though, because it's not as simple. Well, he would have been a great coach or he would have been a terrible coach. Um, part of it depended on – because I covered Brad for that entire time period, and part of it would have depended on the time period. Uh, I felt Brad wasn't very comfortable as a coach when he got here. I thought he developed into a guy who became a better coach. But I guess, Phil, where I sort of get stuck on that question, too, is – the most important game of Brad's career, which was the 2009 conference title game, because the conference title game became such a mess because in some ways you outplayed the Saints so badly. In in almost every way. Well, the statistically, I, I've always said that for me, in my time covering sports, if you take that game book and don't show me the final score and just plop the game book in front of me, I'd be like, oh, the Vikings won by 15 points. Yeah. Um, but I know for a fact, people I've talked to, that the Vikings sort of lost control. Brad lost control of the sideline. You know, how do you have 12 men in the huddle? It's damn near impossible. And yet they achieved it coming out of a timeout. Uh, so I think, I don't know that I have a great answer for your question other than the Brad, Chil- Brad Childress's time, if you take away 2010, is still very complicated because, I, you know, and after the fact, I've been told, and I believe this, that Brad was a really good evaluator of talent. Yes. That he did a hell of a job evaluating talent. So, you know, to scoff at him and be like, he wasn't a good coach, no, that's not true. But then again, when it was most important to have calm – against the Saints in the Superdome, chaotic scene, but you got Favre at quarterback, all hell broke loose. So, Tom, I'm not sure what your response would be, but mine is it's a very complicated scenario, and I don't think that you would scoff or laugh at Brad at all. Brad brought a lot of things. His ability to evaluate his roster was really good. And keep in mind, too, you know, they passed from the unfortunate hiring of Fran Foley to – Rick Spielman, but Rick was very, Brad was the de facto GM. Brad had the hammer. Yeah, so this was not this was not well Rick and Brad. This was Rick helped Brad ran that team and did some really good things. Rick didn't have really full control till twenty twelve. Correct, but my point with Brad is I don't think it's a simple answer, and it's certainly not one that would lead me to scoff at Brad. But it's also not one that would say it was completely successful because that two thousand nine team. Let's be honest. Should have been in Miami playing in that Super Bowl. Well, I mean, if you, if you ask people too, the story of what happened on in Twelve Men in the Huddle, since everybody's talking about that, what really happened was you had 
two assistant coaches who were responsible for getting the correct personnel on the field who were, from what I've been told, busy celebrating the imminent win. And But didn't you hear, too, that Brad – I was told from that game uh, when it got to crunch time that Brad was basically bellowing orders and didn't really – nobody really had control, which became a problem, too. Final final key question for you guys, and I, it, it was originally going to be – Something about the Metrodome roof collapsing, but I just I, I there's we so, even, we're not even to November yet. No, this is crazy. We're wrapping yeah, this up. Where should we be going? So here's my well on the morning of. I'm can we go? To, can we go back to that one for? Can we yeah. stop there? So all right. So I the game. So they play the Bills. I'm Tom's got the schedule. The game's up. supposed to be December 12th. Okay, so December 11th. At the Metrodome. So December 11th, I go to, uh, Don and I drive through the snowstorm and go to the Gopher. Gopher basketball's playing somebody crappy. But, you know, it's Williams. So we go, and uh, it's obviously a huge snowstorm. And so that night, I'm texting with somebody, and they're like, I'm, they like, we're hearing there's water gushing in the Metrodome. And I was like, well, I checked with somebody. They said, oh, I checked with the team. I think it was Lester Bagley. He's like, yeah, there's a leak. It's fine. And I checked with a source, and they're like, oh, no, we, we, we hear the roof is gushing. So I'm like, okay, who am I going to believe? And, you know, I'm a Vikings reporter. I'm not a roof reporter. I don't really care. Because you're never assuming the roof's going to collapse. <laughs> you're not thinking the worst-case scenario is and game I, I remember I went to bed that night, and I woke up at, you know, 6.30, 7 the next Sunday, and I've got a text from Seifert. From like 4.58 a.m., it collapsed. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, the roof collapsed. It's down. And so, I okay, so this is where, for me, it all jumped the shark. So now we've gone from, this seems odd, it could be a gong show, to it is a gong show, but it's an amusing gong show, you know, the Moss thing. I love the Moss thing. It was great. To, oh, my God, what's going on here? Why am I being tortured? Um and so I remember thinking to myself, what should I do? Like, do I go down there and check out the Metrodome? And th- at this point, I'm still at the Star Tribune. The Star Tribune's right across the street from the um, Metrodome. And, or do I stay here? Or, because they're not playing. Right. Oh, and the, and, and the Giants, who they're supposed to play, had been diverted to Kansas City and told just stay in Kansas City because we can't get you to Minneapolis. So there's no, going to be no game. So I'm like, I tell Dawn, my wife, I said, let's just drive me down there. Um, so I remember I went down to the paper and I'm working at the paper and then they're like, there's going to be access at the Metrodome. They're, they're going to show you, you can walk into the press box and see. And I remember walking in and it's a war zone. Like the roof is on the field. The field is full of snow. That would have, by the way, if that had happened a few hours later when people are on the field and bustling. And well, that, you've seen that the kills somebody. been slightly problematic. You've seen yeah. the clip, right, of the, the poor guy, guy driving the Cushman? The, yeah. the Cushman. He's getting right, the it Cushman. it was the Fox camera and, that they had set up. And the Fox guy, and yeah. God bless him, he was the one who had the foresight to leave the camera on. He's like, I'm going home, but I can see it's geysering through the roof. He's the one who saw it coming down. So anyway, I went in there and looked at it, and I remember I'm in the press box, and we're getting quotes from, I think, the Sports Commission. And Chip calls. He's like, they're going to Detroit. And I'm like, what? He's like, we're playing in Detroit on Monday night. We got to go. And so I remember sitting in the airport Sunday night with Chip. Well, actually, Dawn picked me back up from downtown. And that's when I got in her car. 
and my story personally, my best story of that year was I looked around and I said, it's too much now. Like I can't do this anymore. Uh, I, it's become, this is like taxing this, this is costing me years. And, um, I remember I, she drove me out to the airport and I'm sitting there with chip in the airport eating dinner. And we looked at each other and we're like, we're really, and by the way, this was, they hadn't played the lions yet. So they were going back to Detroit. Right. Um, and I remember looking at Chip, and we're both like, this is now unbelievable. Like, just from a personal standpoint. Right. Forget the team. That, that was what made that whole season go, was that you had these ebbs and flows. From the week two, we're all done, to Randy Moss, to Randy Moss, to Childers fired, <laughs> to, you know, the roof collapsed. I mean, there were just, I, I can't think of another season like it for any team. I, no, I, no, I and if we like and we definitely in this town. I hope to God never see that again because it was part of you. Kind of wants it. No, no, no. You know what? It was too much for me. It was. <laughs> I I like. Judd's gonna go. Th- that season created the Judd you see here. Yeah, yeah it did. I really <laughs> I enjoy confusion and chaos, but it, that was too much. Yeah, there was too much at at work there, and because the whole five storyline through two thousand nine and ten was enough. Like, just Brett Favre himself. That was a great story, and it was really cool. But that went so off the rails and so wrong, and so many people were ultimately, in some ways, altered and or damaged by it. Including Judd Zolgat. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was really bizarre. Well, gentlemen, it's been my pleasure to throw the ball in the air and get out of the way for this entire show. This was amazing. And if you're listening and you're new to Minnesota Sports Rewind, We'd appreciate you subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Give us a five-star review and, uh, and and leave a comment. Leave a comment of encouragement for Judd Zolgad, who is we got a, a decade of therapy later here. Uh, removed from and the now it's all season. come back to him. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmares for days. <laughs> Thanks to Tom Pelissero from NFL Network, Judd Zolgad. I'm Phil Mackey from Score North. And, again, this has been Minnesota Sports Rewind, available Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. And uh, we hope that you've either enjoyed or are now terrified for the rest of your life after listening uh, to us blab about the 2010 disaster Vikings season.